MNK Talk YA now presents The Rose Society, Part 1, a young elite's novel by Marie Lu. to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And we're actually sitting next to each other to record this one. Finally, a live episode. <laughs> we were trying to think of something special to do, and we're just, like, nervous in a different way this time, I think, so we're just going to try and get through it. And a little tired, because it's, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. Yep, on Mother's Day, so happy Mother's happy Day, Mother's all the mothers Day. out there. Yeah, are you going to... See your mom today? Yep. Okay. I'm going to brunch with my mom and my grandma and all my aunts on my dad's side. And oh my gosh. It'll be a big group of us. That's so nice. It's awesome. Yeah. That's why I'm up in Chicago, actually. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for this <clears throat> podcast and it just oh. happened to work out. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> my mom is back in Pittsburgh, but I'm going to give her a call today, send some flowers. Maybe we'll FaceTime. Sounds good. Yeah. When do you see her next? Um, I don't know. I hope soon. We're going back for a couple weddings in July, so, but I'm hoping to get back before then. Nice. Yeah. So speaking of mothers, there really aren't any in this book. This is another, is it just like a young adult thing? Like, I was thinking about it in all the Lunar Chronicle, like, there's no parents ever. There was, I mean, we see Raphaela's mother, but I don't know if she's a great example of motherhood right now. I know, (laughs) although she was trying to, like, protect him a little bit. And then he insisted, but he was, what, a five-year-old boy yeah. or something? You can't, like... You don't really know what you're signing up for. Yeah. But, again, I've never really been that desperate, so... I know. and I she, But, I mean, yeah, she had all those other kids to feed. And if if he's like, it's okay, Mom, send me. I want to do it. And you're that <laughs> close to being... I don't know. I don't know. And maybe she thought he'd have a better life somehow. And maybe he did have maybe, a better yeah. life, even though it wasn't the greatest life. Because the guy said, too, that the Malfetto children were being targeted. And so <clears throat> I think that's how he got her to sell Raffaele to him because he was like, you know, how safe are your children going to be here? They're rounding up Malfettos. This could be your chance to save him, which is kind of a little bit weird. But yeah. Yeah. it actually reminded me of, are you watching the show Harlots? Mm-mm. Okay, I'm, it's my new guilty pleasure. <laughs> Where do I watch it? Tell it's on more. Hulu. Okay. <laughs> my cousin turned me on to it. She was like, oh my God, you have to watch this show. And there's a scene like in the very first episode where the mom, it's about two competing brothels in like 19th century England. Okay. Yeah. And I can get on board with that. (laughs) And one brothel is like a very high end. It pretends to be like a French salon and the other one is kind of on the lower end. (laughs) But Sybil from Downton Abbey is in it. Okay. Again, I haven't seen Downton Abbey yet. I love her. Um, but yeah, in the first episode, the mom, who's one of the brothel owners, sells her daughter, and um, she has to pay like a debt, and she sells her daughter's virginity to pay the debt, and then right after she like collects payment, she's standing in the hallway, and she just throws up all over the place, and you're like, yep. Oh my goodness, yeah. But also maybe don't sell your daughter. <laughs> Things not to do. <laughs> As a mother. Especially, for Mother's Day, we have some advice for you. Especially not on Mother's Day. Please don't sell your children to brothels. Don't, don't sell them at all. <laughs> I remember, do you remember when we read, we were in a book club um, when we used to work together, and we read At Home by Bill Bryson, and one oh, of yeah. the um, facts that stood out to me, did we really talk about this? I can't even remember. I tell this story all the time because I think it's so interesting, was kidnapping wasn't like a real offense originally, so when people would steal kids... The only thing you could charge them with was, like, stealing whatever the kid was wearing or whatever the kid had. So, like, before kidnapping was a thing, if someone took your kid, you could just, like, if you caught them or, like, the only thing you could take them to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, I thought that was kind of interesting. I lost a really good pair of size three shoes. (laughs) I really need those shoes back. Yeah. That's kind of So, I don't know what would happen if you, like, took a kid and left the clothes. Like, would you just be... (laughs) Scott Clear. That surprises me because weren't children considered property pretty much back then? I think they, I, I don't, I need to probably reread it, but um, I just remember that fun fact sticking hmm. out in my mind. 
Did you find any other fun facts? Any fun research facts related to the book? So, again, being the new puppy mom, I haven't had as much time to research. But, interestingly enough, six years ago, on Facebook, I used to put, like, a random useless fact of the day up. Like, that was my thing. You know how I do the quotes sometimes? Like, six years ago, I did random useless facts. And on May 11th, 2011, my random useless fact was about dueling. And I know I was talking about dueling the other day, so... Fun fact, dueling is legal in Paraguay as long as both parties are registered blood donors. And I added the fact this could be useful someday, so it might not be a useless fact. <laughs> is it because if one of them dies, they get their blood? I guess it does. <laughs> it's, like, it's like organ donor. Like if you're going to duel, let us at least benefit from it. <laughs> at least let someone benefit from it. I mean, we don't know the reason for the duel, but... I wonder if you're like... There's a rare blood type, and you were like, oh, I really need some blood for my for my daughter being a good parent. I'm going to go duel that guy. Yeah, challenge that guy to a duel. <laughs> well, only if you were convinced that you could beat him. That's true. Or, well, maybe if you just were convinced you could get him to, oh, no. Maybe after each duel, duel I don't know. they're required they're, to they give they blood. Catch, they catch some. <laughs> they show up to the duel with, like, orange slices and cookies to donate blood. <laughs> That'd be so cool. There'd probably be a lot less duels if people knew they had to do that. <laughs> or maybe there'd be maybe that'd be kind of a fun thing for blood donation. Oh, for you know, sure. how to make duel. how to make blood donation fun. <laughs> duel first. And you match against you get similar blood types. <laughs> We're gonna have the type A A positives against each other. <laughs> um I did a little bit of research too. Because I said I was gonna research pleasure courts. And then I did. Well, you watched Harlots, which kind of sounds like research a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure how similar my, well, I mean, my research is actually kind of very different. I did watch Harlots and there was some interesting things in there, but um, I started researching pleasure courts in Venice, Italy, because that seems like where this book takes place, but in an alternate reality. And then I got really bored. <laughs> So I stopped. And it wasn't a pleasurable exercise. It was just kind of, I don't know. It was just kind of like, I wasn't learning anything that I didn't already know. It was like, oh, there were women courtesans and they had, they were very well educated. And back then women weren't well educated. So it was like kind of a contradictory position of freedom, even though they were selling themselves. And I was like, ah, oh, I know that. <laughs> so there's <laughs> juicy stuff. Yeah. Know, come on. So then as luck would have it, I got this article in my newsfeed and the article was titled Japan and the Third Gender. I don't know if you saw it or not. No, I haven't seen it. But it reminded me very much of the character of Raffaele and I was like, maybe this was the inspiration. So I went to Japan instead of (laughs) (laughs) Renaissance Italy. But there's some similarities, so bear with me. Um, So the article was from the New York Times and it was about an exhibit at the Japan Society, and it was illustrating what was known as the third gender in Japan. And essentially, they were adolescent males, and they were um, kind of like in their late teens, and they were seen as like the height of beauty back then. So what time period are we talking about? Oh, this is the um, Edo period in Japan. I'm a little bit um, out of date (laughs) on my Japanese history. Um... I didn't actually write down any dates. I just wrote down, oh, Edo period. Like, everyone just knows what that is. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I should probably know what that is because um, Thank God for I don't Google. really know. Okay. Yeah. It was the period between 1603 and 1868. Okay. In the history. It's a long time. Yeah, that's a pretty big period. So, anyway, they were called, um, they had a name, these uh, boys, and they were called Wakashu, and they were... They were sexually available to men and women and revealed how fluid kind of the ideas of gender were back in Japan before they kind of adopted Western uh, conventions. So they were saying that these uh, men, who were called wakashu, ties back to uh, kabuki theater, which is like a style of drama in early Japan where it was all male actors and they all impersonated women. And they originally outlawed females acting on the stage because they were concerned about um, prostitution. But the kicker was that the men were available for prostitution <laughs> too. So like, they didn't really solve anything by making it all male. But I guess back then, this blurring of gender identity was considered very playful and very exciting. And oftentimes in kabuki theater, 
these male actors, these wakashu, were um, very much sought after by wealthy patrons who would kind of compete with each other to purchase their favors. So I was that thinking, does sound oh. very similar to, yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes they said they were, um, children were sold to the theater at a very young age. Um, they went through a period of training. And then I kind of transitioned off into reading about geisha. Okay. And <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole with this. It's always fun to do that. So I learned actually that people have a misconception of geisha being um, kind of high-end sex workers, but that's not the case. So there was a hierarchy of courtesans, essentially, back during this time in Japan. And let me get my five minutes right now. <clears throat> because you took too many. <laughs> I'm finally seeing her notes in real life, guys. And they're insane. I, I was just saying, I hope like in 50 years, mm-hmm. she has a grandkid who stumbles across this notebook and is like, what was Ma- what was grandma doing? Like, <laughs> Who are all these people? <laughs> Is she going crazy back then? <laughs> okay, so there were the pleasure quarters in Japan were called yukaku, and there were levels of hierarchy among the courtesans. So there were yuju, who were um, primarily sex workers, and then there were oiran, who were a higher class of entertainers, and they um, were also available for sex, but they um, were prized for having skills in conversation and dance and wit, and they were very well-read. And then above them were geisha, who were just entertainers, and it was not expected that they would have sex with clients. And that's like a big misconception because a lot of people thought that that's what geisha did, but they were two separate classes. But for the courtesans, the um, oran, they were also trained at a very young age, and then when they um, graduated... (laughs) <laughs> is that the word? They would have like a coming of age party, like a debut when they became full fledged courtesans and they would go through a rite called a misuage, which geisha do too, but that's just a coming of age ceremony and it just involves a different hairstyle. But for courtesans, the misuage was um, when a wealthy patron would pay for the right to take their virginity. And that was like their debut and it symbolized their initiation into the world of um, being a courtesan. And so I thought that's kind of an interesting... It sounds exactly what happened in this case. So maybe she took her inspiration from Japan. I always think, like, coming-of-age things are so interesting. Like, you know, when you're in middle school and everyone has their, like, um, bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah and then, like, people have their quinceanera or whatever. Like, I I want to have a... And I guess ours is, like, sweet 16. I guess, yeah. I didn't really do... Or cotillion. Yeah, I was going to say, cotillion was probably the closest thing I had, because technically that was my, like, presentation to society or Your debut whatever. into... Did you do it? I did it. I was a oh debutante. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Did you wear a white gown? I did. I basically wore a wedding gown. Did you learn um, a waltz? I did learn a waltz. I don't think I remember it very much. There's something about act like a willow. I remember them talking, <laughs> and I was like, oh, what do you mean, act like a willow? That sounds I'm, so I'm supposed to be waltzing. <laughs> Imagine your roots going into the ground. There's something like be strong but move with the I don't I don't even remember, but when you waltz, try to picture yourself as a willow. That's my my other piece of advice for today. Was there anything else you had to do for a cotillion? We never had that. So I was like in a honors cotillion, so the whole program like it was a year long program and we had to throw parties. We did. Oh. We had to um entertain. Entertain. But not not <laughs> Parties. <laughs> dinner parties we had to like set the place and <coughs> set up and write thank you cards um but we also had to like attend religious services and get certain grades and att- go to enough of these talks there were different talks we had like um women in the community come in and talk about their jobs and that was where i met this one lady and she was she was like working in politics or had worked in politics i don't remember and she had just come back from climbing Kilimanjaro oh my god that was the first person I met who climbed Kilimanjaro and that was when I was like I'm gonna do that one day did you no I haven't yet I really want to do that too because it's well as far as climbing really tall mountains and (laughs) places go relatively easy yeah I mean the biggest thing is like the altitude but the climbing itself isn't you're not like it's not like technical technical. yeah that's you don't have to be trained you just have to be like in good physical health and stuff. I'm in physical health, mostly. determined and hopefully don't have altitude problems. That's the biggest challenge. 
Well, we climbed Pikes Peak, and by climbed, I mean we took a train right to the top. <laughs> and my sister and I were doing mountain climbers and jumping jacks on the top just to see, like, how, how good was, our blood cells yeah. were. <laughs> and my mom was, like, freaking out. She's like, stop it, girls. You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> Trying to work out on top of the mountain. <laughs> We're fine. Well, fun fact, James can't do a jumping jack. Oh. You should ask him to show you his attempt later because it's really funny. He like, <laughs> he's, I don't work out at all. Like I don't, he's like into athletic-y things and knows what a gym is. But he can't do a jumping jack. And he can't do a jumping jack. And that's like the one thing I can do. <laughs> do you just do jumping jacks around him just to show off? Sometimes, yeah. Or... Or if, like, you know, if you've been sitting on a plane for a long time. Like, that's just, like, my thing that I do when I'm, like, I feel like I need to move around a little bit. Get and I do jumping flows. jacks. Oh, I want him to come out right now and do a jumping jack. <laughs> James! <laughs> oh, I should post a video to our um, Facebook or something of him. <laughs> Attempting to do a jumping jack. Oh, uh, there's nothing like embarrassing your boyfriend on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this will make him have to listen to it now. That's true. We were in the car. I think I told you this. He just moved out to Colorado. We were driving out there and we were, I kept trying to put on different podcasts and he <laughs> kept getting bored. And I was like, I don't think you like podcasts. You even listen to ours. <laughs> He's like, I haven't listened to the last few. <laughs> you go like, on his feed and it's like 10 unlistened episodes. <laughs> yeah. That's how mine is too. Cause I never listen to our episodes once they're posted. Yeah, because we've already done it, edited it, yeah. and then checked it. So, it's, yeah. I can't go back and listen to it. It's it's hard to listen to it. It's just because yeah. it's, I don't know. It's embarrassing. I, like, <laughs> I, cr- I'm, it, I cringe every time I listen to it. And then I wonder if it's the way I talk on the podcast is because I'm, like, nervous about the podcast, or if that's just how I talk in real life, and then I start, like, overanalyzing things. Like, like is this how I sound all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So... What do you so tell me what you think about the Rose Society so far, Katie? Okay, first of all, I thought that their um, I thought the idea of having a name and stuff was good, but I thought their pledge or whatever was kind of weird. I was like, where did all these things come from? <laughs> it was a little like thrown together. It real was quickly. like, okay, I pledge myself to the Rose Society until the end of my days to use my eyes to see all that happens. Like, what? What is that? What was the point of that line? Well, and she only has one eye, so thanks, Sergio. Way to exclude your leader in the first sentence of your pledge. I have two eyes, and you don't. That's basically what he said. Okay. So you can't see everything that happens, just half of what happens. My tongue to woo others to our side. That one kind of made sense to me. My ears to hear every secret. That makes sense. Yeah, but, like, they don't really, like, it just, it makes them sound like all they do is, like, spy on people, and I don't feel like that's something they've been doing. Like, it just didn't, it wasn't, like, a bad pledge. I just felt like it was kind of... Like, why is this the approach you're taking? <laughs> and then she ends with, in my hands to crush my enemies, which that part made sense to me. Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, it's not like she really uses her hands That's to crush true. her enemies. She uses her illusions. <laughs> like, I will literally not touch people <laughs> to crush my enemies. So they're already making pledges that they know they can't fulfill. <laughs> but it ends with a just a good, I will do everything in my power to destroy all who stand in my way. So I like that one. Yeah. But just so bloodthirsty like crush my enemies destroy everyone like but it just it takes a shift because the first part is just like i'm just gonna look at everyone and listen to everyone's secrets just stay here quietly. and then i'm gonna destroy them <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i thought I, for some reason i just thought that was like a funny thing but i think coming together as a group was good mm-hmm. but then also the rose part like i get that she made a rose as her illusion but where does it but, come from but why yeah yeah why the rose what does that represent Oh, I guess, wasn't there one where she was, like, clutching the rose and she, That like, was one grabbed. of her first illusions that she made, right? Mm-hmm. Successfully, but... Still, it's... Well, maybe it's because, like, I, I don't know. I was going to say something about how roses are pretty, but they have thorns. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, there, yeah, there's a lot of, like, um... There's a lot of power plays being moved now, and it's almost like they're they're all setting up their pieces, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because everyone has a plan that is now in action. And <clears throat> well, another thing I thought was interesting about the Rose Society and um, Adelina in general was I didn't think well, she kind of like realized she has to go against the Dagger Society also, but I was under the impression when she first left that they like she was as mad at them as she was at the um, Inquisition. Inquisition. But then, like, partway through this 
first half, it kind of sounded like she was like, oh, no, they're not our enemies. And then, like, realizing they are, they're, like, I don't know. But I was like, I didn't think she would struggle with that at that point. I thought she had already kind of Me too. decided they were not her friends. Yeah, and in fact, I thought that when she was talking about, like, claiming the throne and taking down her enemies, I thought, yeah, I thought she was including the daggers with that, yeah. too. And it probably didn't help that it started, you know, the first, um, the part before when she was reflecting and she's, that's when she said that line, once upon a time, a girl had a father, a prince, a society of friends, then they betrayed her and she destroyed them all. So that like helped right. set it up that I felt like that betrayal was, because mm-hmm. the Inquisition was bad and like did things to her, but she didn't have a personal, they didn't betray her. They didn't the betray like her, it wasn't yeah. the personal connection. So, and she, we also had that scene where she finally gets back to Estancia and she sees Gemma in the crowd mm-hmm. and she has this one moment where she's like, I wish I could call out to her and reveal who I am. And we could be friends again. Like, she has that fantasy, kind of, where she is still kind of yearning to have their friendship. Yeah. And that was believable, I thought. It was just, I like, you know, when she actually saw them, I, I think it makes sense that she'd have some of that. Because mm-hmm. I think that's really how, and like, even, you know, like, kids in high school or whatever, when they're be like, I think people want to be included or want to be liked and want, mm-hmm. want that, especially from people they've felt that from before. And, you know, this new group. I think they're all aligned, the Rose Society, but they're not really friends. Oh no, it's you know, like a it's, very it's loose like alliance. a business agreement, kind right? Because even when they meet Maggiano, I mean, he didn't—he wasn't even going to follow them unless they could prove that they were worthy to follow. Which was a really interesting, clever. Also, can we just talk about him for a minute? Yeah, please. His, his power is really cool. It's so cool. And I, I want that power. I'm now. really yeah. I want, I want to. Be able to test out everyone else's powers. Forget talking to animals. <laughs> I want to do it all. Well, you could you could talk to I mean, animals. Yeah, and I then just you have could... to be best friends with Gemma. That's fine. <laughs> You'd have to call out to her in the alley. She seems cool. Talk. I would totally go have fun and hang out with Gemma. I would hang out with her even if I didn't have powers too, because she could bring all the puppies. Oh yeah, just She'd all just the, show bring up. all the puppies to the yard. <laughs> bring the wolves. <laughs> Come over to the party. <laughs> No birds, please, but other things I want. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like, and I like that he is um, very clever, but also very fallible, too. Like, he's not, he's not perfect, because no. he has, his weakness is that he can't help himself, and he always wants more. Yeah. And I kind of, I think that's a little bit charming. And I'm also very intrigued. He's another one of these characters. I think we know more about him than Enzo in some way. You know, like I feel like more personally mm-hmm. connected to him than I was to Enzo. But he is one of those people that I'm like, I have all these questions about his background still. And he definitely, you know, when he seems to pick up on, he has a good read of people, but I'm not sure how much he's actually getting or what he, if he's manipulating that, you know, I can't quite tell. Me all either. That. I just know that he, I mean, he really wants the crown jewels and that's the only reason he's really following her. Well, really, she set it up well, again, because it's not based on friendship. It's based on this business agreement. And I think mm-hmm. she's properly motivating everyone in the group right now. Sergio, yes. too. You Ser- know? Yeah, because now, wait, what's Sergio getting? Well, I mean, he just wants, oh, he wants to work the for whoever. Down. Well, he, yeah, he doesn't like the dagger, so he's on board with them turning again. That'll be the biggest issue. If she decides she doesn't want to go against the daggers yeah. if she goes back on that then that'll cause tension in the group I think because he's a huge player right now because he controls all those ships right he's and like the mercenaries. mercenaries yeah and it's cool how he wasn't he was cast out of the daggers for not being able to control his powers but um I think it was interesting that Enzo didn't kill him he spared him yeah but then it also confused me because I was like okay if Raphael told Enzo to kill him and then Enzo took pity on him when Enzo was, like, out of the picture, why didn't Raffaella just kill Adelina? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Not, I don't want her to die because it would have been the end of the story. Like, <laughs> so I get why she didn't do that. But, like, making Raffaella be the guy who always wanted to kill people if they didn't work out, it didn't make sense. Well, I mean, we said that before. It didn't make any sense that they, kicked, that they like, let her come with them and then talk to her and then kicked her out. If anything, they should have just left her behind and not had that conversation with her, I think. But mm. they, like... Why piss off someone who you're scared of because their talent or their gift or whatever is so, like, yeah, yeah, uncontrollable, which also, she's not controlling it at all right now. I know, she's she's losing it. And she's in denial about it, 
that's that's the other like betrayal I'm thinking might happen at some point is uh, her sister might think she's doing the right thing, but really upset her by using her power mm-hmm. to stop Adelina's power. Yeah, because they take that they promise each other at the beginning that they will never use their powers against each other because they need. Like, I think Adelina feels like she needs one person she can trust. Yep. But at the same time, her power is really destroying her. And it's interesting that it seems like every time she uses it for something bad, like every time she uses her power to kill someone, mm-hmm. um, she keeps having a more and more severe reaction. Yeah. Because like when Dante, when she killed Dante, she kind of lost her mind for a little bit. And I thought that was just like PTSD. I mm-hmm. didn't think, I didn't associate it at the time with like yeah. a reaction to using her power. I thought it was just like, oh my goodness. What did I do? You know. Right. And now she's like, she's seeing illusions of her father. She's seeing illusions of Enzo. And she's hearing these whispers. Are the whispers the same people that she's seen? Or is it just like demons in her mind kind of thing? Oh, maybe. I thought some of the whispers were her dad's voice. Some of them weren't. But just the way she talks about it, like, I'm just imagining... Um, you know, in those cartoons when you're like the devil on one side and the angel on the other, <laughs> like, like I'm just conscience. imagining like a group of little devils, like on her shoulder whispering in her ear is how I'm picturing it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I did really like that scene where she has to steal the Night King's pin to prove herself to Maggiano because I don't know. It was like a really good scene of her and Violetta working together, but also a scene of where she's so ruthless, like. Even Maggiano at the end was like, you didn't have to kill him. You could have just left. Like, there was another option that you could have chosen. And she always opts for the most violent, yeah. extreme option. Well, and, you know, she always feeds off people's fear and all of that. So I feel like she couldn't even... Wasn't there one place... Or was it when she was watching Gemma or something? And she was like, I wish that, like, joy filled me. You know, mm-hmm. like, she... but. That's she not where she gets her strength from. Mm-mm. So she needs to like be she needs to be scaring people or around people who are to use her power. Yeah, to use her power. And she needs yeah. she gets so much validation from using her power and feeling that strength or whatever that Yeah, because even when the few times when Violetta took it away, she's almost she finds it unbearable to be without her power now. Like mm-hmm. she finds it It's like her security blanket. Yeah. And that's another, I think, result of everyone having betrayed her. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she might have been able to be without her power if she ever got to, like, a comfortable, I feel safe with these people, I feel loved, I feel... Like they won't betray me. Yeah. Yes. That's so maybe, like, like, at the end of everything, if she makes peace with the world and gets to a safe place, then maybe she would be willing <laughs> to give up her power. But at this point, I don't think that's um, a likely... This isn't the Lunar Chronicles. No. No, it's <laughs> I don't sure think isn't. it's going to be a happily ever after. <laughs> Well, it already is. I mean, we already lost Enzo. We already lost a major player. Although, <laughs> although did we? We might see him again, which I'm not like all that excited about. <laughs> well, I'm really interested to see how because her brother is so something so off with him. Oh, I'm like yeah. curious to see if Enzo comes back. Is it Enzo or is it like his body with a demon in it or is it is it a zombie? Is it like yeah? What's going on? So Maeve. Maeve is the one is the lead who can bring back people from the dead. That's her superpower, and she wants to bring back Enzo. And and I like how like in order to bring someone back, you have to bind them to someone in the natural world. Yeah, I, I really like that. Makes sense too. I that think. was a concept. Yeah. But here's the thing: I don't understand Maeve's um, motivation. Does she want to bring back? Enzo? I was going to say, why does she want to bring back the king if she wants to rule? Well, okay. So I was thinking. For um, here's some options. <laughs> Maybe one. She wants to bring back Enzo because she wants to put him on the throne to reignite trade between their countries. And that's what she told the daggers. Yeah. And that that was her her original plan Mm -hmm. when she was just a patron. Or two, she brings, she wants to bring back Enzo to put him on the throne, but use him as kind of a puppet so that she can actually rule through him. Yeah. Because what state will he be in? We have no idea. But then, but again, why does she need a puppet? Why wouldn't, like, why bring him back? Like, I exactly. think, I kind of think that's what she's thinking, but I don't understand why, unless it's just a way to get the daggers on her side. Maybe she needs the daggers, and that's just yeah. the bargaining chip she felt like she could use. The uh, Well, they don't even really want to bring him back, though. That's true. Like, yeah. Raffaele was like, no, I'm not cool with this. I don't want to do this. But she was like, well, too bad. I'm doing it anyway. So my third thought was maybe she wants to bring back Enzo and he's going to come back with his powers magnified like times 10 like Tristan did and she's going to use him as a weapon to take down the daggers and claim the throne for herself. But again, I 
I feel like she could just go claim the throne for herself right now. With her army? Yeah. But how can she fight against all the... I mean... Well, but the daggers... The daggers aren't even... They don't... They just... As long as... I think they would be fine with her being in control because their biggest thing is they don't want the discrimination, right? They want to take down the Inquisition. Like, no one currently in the Dagger Society wants to be king. That's true. You know, so I feel like they would have supported her anyways to some extent. I think that they're... I think that the daggers, they don't want a foreign princess on the throne. I think that's something that they knew Enzo would never be okay with. And so they're a little reluctant to allow, like, a foreign invasion. But again, like, their biggest thing is they want to stop the Inquisition. They want to stop the persecution of Mofetos. So, yeah, I'm kind of like, Yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah. Because why would you also, want as soon as I as soon as I found out that she had divided them to a living person, that was my prediction that Adelina would want to would somehow intervene and get bound to him instead of mm-hmm. one of the daggers, <clears throat> or instead of anyone. I didn't. Even, yeah, it's a good plan. So then I was kind of mad. Well, not mad, but I was mad that it happened in the first half instead of the second half, so I could have predicted it. And oh. Because I was like, and then it was like, what, the second to last chapter or whatever we read mm-hmm. before the end. Like, oh, yeah. We should have stopped 20 pages earlier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because the last chapter was. Um, that was uh, Raphael. Oh, um, and Julieta. Yeah. So that's another good move on the dagger's part to kind of plant him inside the court to. Um, create a divide between Taryn and Julieta because once those two are separated, like, I don't think Julieta really cares about the Malfettos She anymore. doesn't. She just wants to be the queen. Mm-hmm. And honestly, and she said it a few times or it's been alluded to, like, part of being a good leader isn't to kill off all of your people. You want, like, a certain... Especially when all your people... Like, a lot of those kids have parents or families who do love them yeah. in the city who she needs their support from. Yeah, you can't just round them up and put them in camps. And kill them. And kill them. And stop feeding them and all this stuff. Like, she's... I think she's actually more... Like, she's a pretty good politician. Yeah. She's not... I mean... Not a great politician. She's not a terrible... Is she a terrible ruler? I mean, I guess that she lets herself be influenced too much by Taryn. But, I mean, if... Let's say the Inquisition is stopped, which sounds like she's already kind of doing on her own. Like, she's already cracking down pretty hard on Taryn for, like, for disobeying her and going against her ruling. So if she takes down the Inquisition, couldn't she just be left to rule? Is, would that be the end of the world? No, I don't think it would, except that I think she's still... So she said she said something like, I don't want a revolution, I want control. Or she said some line mm-hmm. like that at one point, I forget what it was exactly. Um, but basically, like if, if they all starve, then we're going to have a revolution, which is not the plan. And how can Taryn not see that? Well, he. I don't think he doesn't... Well, he just doesn't care about the ruling part. He His mission, he's motivated by, he thinks he's supposed to destroy all of them. Mm-hmm. So it's not that, he's just not a politician, like, he doesn't care about the politics yeah. side. I think he probably agrees mm-hmm. it's not a good political move, but that's just not his motivation. That's true. So they have two completely different motivations now. Yeah. They're already butting heads, and now Raphael is in there to stir up some crap. Although and- that's a very, like, I just don't trust Taryn at all. I would, I'm worried that, especially because he's already not listened to the queen, mm-hmm. that he'll just do something. I know. It's actually, it, it's a very dangerous move, especially, and it's one where I read it and I was like, oh, I don't know if Enzo would have been okay with that, you know? Enzo wouldn't because he's so protective. Yeah. I think, I think if Enzo went it, like, could do it, he'd be on board with the plan because he'd risk his own life, but I don't think he would have risked his life. I don't know if he would have risked Raphael's. Yeah. And also, he's so defenseless. It's yeah. not like he has powers that he can use to defend himself against Taryn. Like, yeah. he's in a very vulnerable position right now, but at the same time, he also is set up to create a lot of damage. But he's good. He could make the Rose Society pledge. He could listen to everyone's secrets and see everything that's happening because he has that ability to, like, pick up on energy. Like, I thought that oh, was also kind of cool. You know how he was like, I sensed a different thing in her energy, curiosity mm-hmm. this time or whatever. And desire. And like desire. A little bit of desire. Which is also, which is just making it more, by trying to use, like, making Taryn also jealous mm-hmm. on that front is making me nervous, too. I know. Yeah. Because he's playing all the cards against, yeah. <laughs> and and also, Taryn is just so unpredictable. Yeah. Because, and again, his motivation, 
if he really believes that's like his purpose in life, that gods have called him to do this, then he should disobey the queen and do something with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was also interesting at the end because um, he didn't know that Adelina was back and he heard. Who did? Um, Raffaele didn't know that Adelina was back in town. And then when they were talking about, you haven't brought me Adelina's head, like, I can't trust oh. you either. And then he was kind of like, she's back and got nervous. Yeah, I would be too if I were him. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he'd be the first person she would go after. Again, I that's what I was excited. I thought she was more upset with them than she was with the Inquisition, but I hope we see more of Maeve and kind of her lands, like the Beldane land. I think I don't know. It's it's pretty cool and I want to also learn more about her and Lucent's relationship. Yeah. Because I guess Lucent was banished after Tristan died. So she must have somehow been blamed for Tristan dying, right? That's the... Yes. So did she... I wonder if it had to do with her powers or if it had to do with something else. That's a good question. Because it seems like she and Lucent were lovers before Lucent was banished. Mm -hmm. Um, But she does say the whole reason I was banished was because your mom thought that I was responsible for Tristan's death. Yeah. So I kind of want to see that more... I want to see that play out more. I want them to talk to each other. I know. Like, I want to see that conversation because, especially, she didn't even know Tristan was brought back. I know. She never told her. Yeah. Because her, I guess her mom was, like, intercepting her mail or something, she said. Yeah, but, I mean, I I, I don't not dead. believe it because we don't know her mom that well. And, yeah. And now she's dead. Yeah. It was also interesting that that um, land is female-led. I was just going to say that. I like how the line of secession passes to daughters, not sons. Yeah. How many brothers does she have? She has like seven or something. It's kind of cool because it was like they had son after son after son (laughs) until finally they had the daughter they needed. And it was just like really refreshing to see that flipped. And it was, it's also kind of cool how supportive her brothers are. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like on a lot of royal families and things like this, well, obviously Enzo and his sister are a good example. (laughs) Yeah, Um, they don't get along real well, do they? Yeah. There's more competition than support, so. Yeah, it's almost like, well, and she also says that when she was little, I mean, she acted like a queen, even when she was a little a little girl, and her brothers would, like, follow her around like they were her faithful subjects. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't know, I really like that. Yeah, I like her. I don't, I don't trust her, but I like her. I like her. I don't her trust too. anyone. No, <laughs> nor whole, should you. This whole world is. I also like that she, um... I like that she and Lucent had um, romantic attachments before she was banished because I always think it's good in YA novels to have, like, good representation of, you know, different sexual orientations and whatnot. And so I think I liked that there was a gay character, but she's not, like, her sexual orientation is not the focal point of the story. Yeah. It's just incorporated into it very organically. And I think that is so important for YA novels. Yeah, I agree. There should be more of it. And speaking of um, relationships, do you think Sergio and Violetta are going to get together? Well, they were talking to each other, and Adelina, like, bristled at that. (laughs) Yeah, got jealous. So maybe. (laughs) I mean... And it just seems... Well, you know, it seems like she's so beautiful and has this kind of, like, charm to her, so people are already, like, attracted. Like, you know, she picks... She gets male attention. Mm Mm-hmm. When they go around, I was just curious. Yeah, it's always interesting how you see them together, and Adelina's always like, they always notice Violetta first, but then they notice me too, because we're both beautiful, but my my beauty is very sinister. Yeah, kind of yeah, darker. she did say something like that. That was, yeah, <laughs> and an hers is, point. You know, she's kind of innocent. innocent. But is she? <laughs> I kind of feel like she's more complicated than she acts, you know, that there's more there. I think she's innocent in a lot of ways. Yeah. But... I think she has a goodness in her more so than Adelina. Well, that's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> Any, pretty much anyone does. Well, Ivana has more goodness in her than Adelina. I do like her new name, though, her elite name, Puppet Master. Oh, yeah. That I like good. how they all have. Although I want to know what Maggiano's real name is, if that's his elite name. Like, I know. What's his real name? Where I want to hear more from? of his background. And it is cool that Sergio came back. Although there have to be so many elites. It seems like they're yeah. fairly common. Because Maeve has a whole army of elites, it seems. Yeah, but I, and I want to hear more about who they are and what they can do. Mm-hmm. And what their markings are. I'm always so, like, 
interested about what their markings are. Yeah. We don't know what Sergio's is, right? Um, Maggiano's is like had, a scar. Yeah, I thought he also had something like on his chest or on his arm or something, they said. Or that she caught a glimpse of. But Violetta now. doesn't have any markings, right? Well, so, no. But they said that might be part of her power is that she suppresses oh. the marking or whatever. You know, like, because she can... Suppress everything. Suppress everything. And that's why um, she... Um, no one could sense her. Mm-hmm. And Raphael couldn't sense her either because yep. she was suppressing his power. Yeah. Mm. Although, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a cool way they used going back to the Night, the, um, Night King. Was that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. Um, how she suppressed Magiano's power while he, or while she did the fake pen and mm-hmm. then he took the wrong, like, that was just a whole clever, perfect. yeah. I was so nervous for them the whole time. I was too. Well, and we should have been because yeah. they almost died. <laughs> but the, other, the whole time I was thinking it, I was like, oh my God, I, could, I would never be able to do that. Like, I would be so bad at playing it cool and like pretending like everything was all right. And like, yeah, let me dance for you. I would be just sweating. Uh, yeah, no. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say I could do it, but I definitely could not. <laughs> I hope we see more of that, like them working together to pull off. Little stunts like that. I think it'll be cool when they're using all four powers right now, and I wonder if they'll jo- if anyone else will join their team. I hope so, because I mean, a team of four is not very much. I'm need also more interested to see when Sergio actually like interacts with the Dyer Society again. Yeah, like how that goes down, especially if they all think he's dead. That's true, because because honestly, like that might make um, Raphael feel different about Enzo, right? If he told him you need to kill this guy and he didn't. Yeah, or like, if he said, or if Enzo said, I killed him, yeah. if he lied about it. If he yeah. lied about it. Oh, man. I'm also, like, I really want to see a scene where, the scene where they bring Enzo back, if that actually ends up happening. Like, because I don't, it's not going to work. I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's not going to work according to either plan, I'm sure. Like, there's going to be some, like. Something's going to happen. He's going to be tied to Taryn or something. Like, I don't know. Like, something <laughs> crazy is going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, especially since, like. Adelina is strong, but her powers are not consistent at all. And, like, to do something so big and so important, I would be terrified that she's going to mess it up somehow. Like, her illusions are going to go out of control. Her out-of-control illusions are freaking me out. Uh, yeah. So she's And she's imagining, like, going to the underworld all the time. I wonder if she'll see Enzo in the underworld or something before they bring him back. Or if, I don't know. Maybe. I thought only Maeve could go there. Yeah, but she keeps, like... You know, swimming down because she sees the underworld or dreaming mm-hmm. about the under... Like, I don't know. I like how there are all these angels down there, too. Like, I don't know what their names. There's, like, the Angel of Fear and the Angel of Fury. and Yep, yep. I like how they built, like, a whole kind of heaven and hell world, but using different different gods and different angels, and they all have different names. I, I really like that. Yeah. It just helps with the world building a lot. It makes it a lot more convincing. So... Is this, did you like the first book better or are you liking this book better? I'm liking this book better. Mm. I like, because there's a little bit more, there's more moving pieces. Yeah. But I feel like it's, it only works because of the first, you know, like the yeah. first book was necessary it's background and it was, and I enjoyed it when I read it, but now I like this one more. What about you? Um, I don't know. I, I like, um, I'm a big fan of like training montages like when people are starting to like learn how to control their powers so I liked the first book um a lot when she was like learning how to create illusions with Mm -hmm. the daggers and was kind of one of them I really liked that scene I also I also liked when they were all friends together you know like I'm nostalgic for that but I do I don't know I am interested to see like where everything goes and I like that there's a lot of conflict now between everyone there's a lot of interesting relationships now you know like I feel like when they were all kind of friends it was fun but Mm -hmm. it wasn't as many interesting relations like the most interesting relationship there I thought was Enzo and Taryn Mm -hmm. and now I feel like there's a lot of different I was even gonna say like I'm not I don't even think I have a favorite character I have a favorite like, couple or, like, relationship. Which like, is your favorite? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many good ones. I really like Violetta and Adelina. Mm-hmm. I really like Taryn and Julieta. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I'm just... I'm really liking Maggiano and Adelina right now, too. Yeah. Just, I'm just, like, I feel like they're trouble. <laughs> and I like how they... Um, I don't know. I like how he's very impressed by her. 
and yeah, like he's he's seen a lot, so it's kind of int- it's it's nice that he can still be surprised by someone. He's very intrigued by her power. Yeah, too. yeah, and it's cool how he can borrow it. Yeah, again, Being his, a mimic, his power is so cool. Yeah, that would be the best. Yeah, I, I don't know, and like and Maeve and Lucin, I want to know more about their relationship. It's funny how there's so there are so many unique pairings of people and and to see like what each pairing's motivations are and how they play off each other mm-hmm. and how they have so much codependency among these particular pairings. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. It is cool. This has been so much easier to do this podcast when I'm like sitting right next to you versus <laughs> I guess I'll have to move back to Chicago. <sighs> okay. The only thing that would make it better is if we had banana cookies and that's my fault. Uh... Why do you keep mentioning them if you don't have them? <laughs> Next time, I will make so many, and we will just gorge ourselves on them. Then I won't even be able to podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it should be my reward afterwards. <laughs> oh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, okay. So we're going to finish the Rose Society next week. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, I can't wait to see Enzo being brought back from the dead. I know. That's going to be a cool scene. But I don't want to deal with him anymore. Like, I'm over Enzo. Well, I'm kind of hoping he's not really Enzo when he comes back, and yeah. maybe we'll like him more. Really Enzo 2.0. <laughs> maybe we'll like him more. Because <laughs> before he was just so, like, brooding, and I don't know. I didn't really like him with Adelina. I didn't like that pairing. No, I didn't either. And he was just, like, he was brooding without us, like, really understanding him, and so it just made it I tedious. Was, I was so intrigued by him. that Like, I, I had so many questions that I wanted to answer. So I'm curious if he does come back, if we hear more about yeah. Who he is. Maybe. And more about him and Taryn's relationship. And it'll be interesting, depending on who he gets paired with. I know. What Maybe, like, who he gets tethered to will determine what he's like. Because if he's, let, if, let's say, if he's tethered to Raffaele, like, he will be aligned with empathy. He'll be aligned with gentleness. And I guess he's still very manipulative. But, like, I feel like that would be a very different binding than with him and Adelina. Yeah, because he has kind of these two parts in him anyways, right? Because he has that mm-hmm. still that strong need for, um, what's it called? Revenge. No. Yeah, I mean, but I forget what they said in the book, but I'm, you know, the not the fury. Passion? But he, his was the other one, wasn't it? I don't remember. I thought they both aligned with passion. Maybe it's passion. Yeah, okay. So he aligned with her on some yeah. things, but then obviously he's not as dark as she is. Yeah. I'm also... <laughs> I'm worried about her again. Like her, I, I don't know what's gonna go on with these illusions she, or hallucinations she's having, and I do feel bad for her a little bit because she can't. Could, like, could you imagine like not knowing what was real and what was fake? How scary that would be. No, I can't imagine. And it's not anything. She, I mean, it's kind of interesting because her power—that's like what she does to other people, right? Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. half, like it's kind of interesting that she is suffering from the very thing. And it's just sad because it's like she can't help it. Like this is this is her power. This is what she was given, and it's destroying her. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm curious if it actually destroys her, or if somehow she gets free of it. Or you know, like Violetta suppresses it, and she's fine, but angry mm-hmm. about losing it, or if she ever manages to control it. Or I feel like they would all have to lose their powers for her to be okay with losing hers. Like if she was the only one who lost her power. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. She'd never be okay with that. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, Oh, okay. So I have a joke for you this week. Okay, let's hear it. (laughs) And I picked it because I was thinking of Sergio and how he's a mercenary and how that's kind of like a pirate. Okay. It's not a muffin joke. I, I, you know, I didn't even try to look up muffin jokes because I was like, (laughs) I can't. I think those are the top. Those are the top two. I'm pretty sure. There's not a third. There's not a third. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my joke this week is, what's a pirate's favorite letter? Favorite letter. Um, R. You'd think that, but his first love is the C. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I was was convinced I got it, too. I was like, oh, oh, I got it this time. (laughs) It's a redirect. What had happened if I had said... C hey. <laughs> or, or C. I probably would have just said R. <laughs> I also I love when jokes like build like when you build off of each other. You know, it's not just like an like I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 
we have to thank this for um, helping to keep us in really bad dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, he sends us jokes every week. So um, we haven't used a ton of his yet, though. But I'm, I'm sure we saving will. them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saving them for. I mean, we do this every week. <laughs> And so they're not relevant. <laughs> well, we do try to kind of tie it to something a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Even though aren't they're very tenuous. Um, yeah, we make it work. Um, okay, bye. Well, wait a minute. Oh. I was going to say real oh. quick. Sorry. Stay here. I was going to say um, just a real quick thank you to everyone who's been listening. Yeah, thank um, you all. We really appreciate it. And if you have a minute and you want to write us a review on iTunes or um, what else can they do there? Subscribe. Send it to your young adult reading friends. Yeah. Spread the word if you don't mind. We really appreciate everyone listening. Yeah. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And um, oh, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram because we're putting up a lot of pictures of Kay's new dog. (laughs) That's all I do is take pictures of him. And he's so cute. So (laughs) go to Instagram if you want to see cute puppy pictures because that's all we post. All right. Okay, now I can say it? Yeah, go for it. Bye, bookworm. (laughs) Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.